This is Rich Phipps, and I'm the lead pastor of Grace Collective Church. Welcome to our podcast. Whether you're a part of our local church family or a part of our online community, we're so glad that you're here. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to Grace Collective. You know, for some of you, this is what you do. You come in like almost every single weekend, and, and this is who you are. You're Grace Collective family, and we are so thankful that you are here. Whether you're here in person or online, we are thankful that you're here and part of our GC family. And But some of you are new, and we cannot wait for you to become part of the GC family. In fact, um, we want you also to understand, if you're new, that we, we get it, that it's hard to walk into a new church. It's hard to walk in where you may not know people, or may not think you know people. It's hard to walk in and, and not understand everything that goes on. So that's a big first step. So what we're doing is trying to help you with your next step and saying, hey, here's an easy way to take the next step. And to do that, if you're new, simply stop on your way out. Like take 60 seconds and stop in the lobby at Connect Point. We have a fantastic team of like really friendly people who would love to talk to you out there and just tell you, hey, here are some options for your next steps with Jesus and at Grace Collective. So if that's, if that's you, we hope you'll take that opportunity. You hear a little bit more about that um, at the end of the service. We'll talk a little bit more uh, to you specifically. Hey, so what we're going to do today is jump back in where we kind of left off last week. Last week, we kind of dropped right into a conversation that Jesus was having with a guy named Nicodemus. And this is a pretty heavy passage. I mean, it's really weighty. It has some things in this passage, in this event, that are going to challenge some of you, and some of you that's going to flat out bother you. They're going to bother you a lot. You're going to walk out of here today bothered by what you hear, and that's okay. That gives God room to work in the middle of the bother. So let's talk about this. This guy's name was Nicodemus, and I'll, I'll be flat out honest. I wish Nicodemus was here. I wish Nicodemus, like we could have two chairs up here, and we could be sitting like on two different stools, and he'd have a microphone, I'd have a microphone, and y'all could be sitting out there, and we'd just interview Nicodemus, because I think what he would say would be absolutely amazing. You know what, what I'd ask him first? If we were interviewing Nicodemus, I, I would ask Nicodemus, like, what was it like, you know, in that context where you're in that middle of that conversation with Jesus? What was it like, you know, in the presence of somebody famous? Because we get a little wonky, don't we, when we get in the presence of someone famous? Like, have you ever, have you ever been around somebody famous? Yeah, when, when, when you are, you're like, you're not yourself. You, you turn back to little fanboy or fangirl, like 12-year-old you, and, and you don't, you're not really yourself. And I remember seeing this firsthand. When, when my doctoral class, like my doctoral class was 22 guys from all different parts of the world, and two of them were from Brazil. And their names are Paulo and Elio. Phenomenal guys. Great guys. Fun, funny. Man, they loved coffee. Like, they came up here the first time, and they went, like, started. Starbucks, and they said, give me the darkest, strongest coffee you've got, and they drank it. They said, that's not coffee, and so they started having Brazilian coffee sent in every week for them and the rest of us who drank coffee, but it, so they're, they're like kind of stoic, but fun, and they're, we're on this trip to Athens, Greece, and we're looking out over where the ruins were of um, the old uh, like marketplace in Athens, 
And all of a sudden, these two kind of stoic Brazilians looked over two other people, and they started excitedly talking to each other in Portuguese. Like, that's the national language, right, of, of Brazil. And they started talking in Portuguese. They're all excited. And then they ran over to this couple, this guy and this lady, who were visiting Athens also. And it was like fireworks were going off over there. They're, they're cheering and laughing and shaking hands and hugging and a lot more Portuguese going on. And then when they came back, Paulo and Elio, they were like two little 10th grade boys that got asked to prom by seniors. They were like giddy excited and it come to find out that those two people were famous TV stars in Brazil. And, and Paulo and Elio, like, they, we can't believe we got to go meet them. And they were, they were like that the rest of the day, just like laughing, skipping around Athens, Greece. And that's, why, that's one reason I'd love to sit down with, with um, Nicodemus because we get weirded out in the presence of someone famous. And I, I would love to, to find out Nicodemus' take on that whole time with, G, with Jesus. Not because, you know, Nicodemus met Jesus and Jesus was famous, but because Jesus met Nicodemus and Nicodemus was famous. And probably for the first time in decades, someone wasn't weirded out by Nicodemus. Because when people saw Nicodemus walking down the street, like, oh my gosh, that's Nicodemus. He's famous. In fact, he's the famous of the famous. And then he met, he met with Jesus. And Jesus is like, dude, yeah, I know you're famous. I, I, I know you're like way up here in culture. But you're just like everybody else to me. And I wonder what that did to Nicodemus. This conversation must have been so interesting. Because like Nicodemus, remember who he was? This is all review from last week. Nicodemus was top of the heap in Jewish culture. He was a Pharisee. And, and remember, Pharisees for a lot of our, if you've been in church for a minute, then the word Pharisee means narrow-minded, closed-minded, Jesus-hater. But remember, in their culture, Pharisees were way up here. They were above almost every other strata of people in the Jewish culture. So they were respected, they were revered, they were honored, they were listened to. When, when they walked down the street, people got out of their way. That, that was the Pharisees, and that was Nic Nicodemus. And Nicodemus, he, he comes before Jesus, and Jesus doesn't get weirded out by him. Jesus says, oh, by the way, all that good stuff, Nicodemus, you've been doing, that's like a false start, and you need a fresh start. Nicodemus, he wasn't even just a Pharisee, though. Remember, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were 71 men, 70 leaders, plus the high priest that year. And they were responsible for the law of the entire Jewish nation. Wherever you lived in the world, if you were an Israelite or you were Jew, you were under the authority of this 71 person, like Supreme Court, the Jewish ruling council. And so not only is like he here, but Nicodemus is now here. He's like, he's a tippy, tippy top of the pile in the entire Israelite nation. And they considered themselves to be like the guardians of God's galaxy. Like they, 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 nobody, nobody followed God's law more stringently than they did. No one worked harder at it. In fact, they would often make up laws to help them keep God's law better. Like they wanted nothing more than to be right with God by keeping God's laws. That's what they would do. Like nobody ever looked at Nicodemus and said, oh, yeah, Nicodemus, but I'm more moral than he is. I'm gooder than he is. I'm, 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 I know God's word better than he He knew the Old Testament, which was their, their law, uh, the Torah, the whole Old Testament. He knew it frontwards and backwards. He's one of the greatest teachers of his entire nation. And yet, when, when he stood before Jesus, 
Jesus looked at him and said, hey, everything you've done, hey, great, that's good stuff. Know the word. All this stuff is great, but that's all outward stuff, and you need something different. That's a false start. You need a fresh start. That's why I wish he was sitting here with us. I I wish we could hear what he thought when when Jesus said, Nicodemus, bravo, bravo on, on all the stuff you've been working on, but you need to start over. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to jump back into that conversation. In a moment, I'm going to read to you what we went through last week, just as, again, to kind of wrap up the review, then we get into the new part of it. But before we do, I want to know, I want you to know why it's in the Bible. Like, remember the guy that wrote this, his name was... John, thank you, Wayne, one out of a hundred and some people. Thank you. Like, you're way up here, Wayne. Everyone else is down here right now, right? So, yeah, the guy, the guy that wrote this was John. That hasn't changed since last week. It's still John. And, and John was one of Jesus' closest friends, closest followers. He was an apostle. In fact, he was like the inner three with Jesus. He was right tight with Jesus. And John tells us why he wrote this. John wrote this biography of Jesus or this record of uh, account of Jesus' life. Like G- John, after, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, Jesus, um, you know, went back to heaven and, and he gave his church this job of going and telling the whole world. And John says, I'm on it. And John just risked his life every day to follow Jesus and tell everyone else about Jesus. And then he gets to the end of his life. He's like, I better write this down. Because after me, people need to know these things. And so he he wrote all this out, and that became the gospel according to John. And John says, hey, you know, I could have written a whole lot more, but there's not enough, like, papyrus in the world or ink ink in the world or, you know, the, the volume of books it would take. The world couldn't hold all those books. So I've just chosen some of the things that, that I was experiencing with Jesus. I think these are the most important ones. And here's why he wrote them down for us. Listen to this. He said... But these are written, these things I've chosen to include, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. He's like, whoever's reading this, like, remember, he wasn't writing the Bible, because there was no the Bible back then. He was just writing down his account of everything, well, some of what he experienced with Jesus, and he said, and this is why, I'm not just writing you a story I'm not just telling you all the things Jesus did because I think they're cool. I'm writing this for a purpose. And, I, and reader, like readers back then and you and me today, I'm writing this so that you know that Jesus really is God and that he saves you. I'm writing this so that you believe. And the word he used for believe, it's not like we use like, like how many of y'all believe in Paris? Y'all believe Paris exists? Not Paris Hilton, but Paris the, the city, right? Yeah, yeah. Anybody believe in Paris? Okay, how come most of you do not believe in Paris? That's really weird. I believe in Paris. I've never been there, but I've seen pictures. You know, I know people have been there. I, I believe, I believe in Paris. But that's not what John's saying about believe. Like, it's not some mental assent or consent to it. The word in Greek there means like to, to entrust yourself to and enlist your life for to entrust yourself to and enlist your life for. Those of you, those of us, those who will entrust and enlist, this is what what he's talking about, may have life in Jesus' name. And so he writes this event about Nicodemus hoping that it tells you and me enough to move us a step closer to entrusting and enlisting our lives for Jesus. 
So here's what he wrote. And this is, again, what we studied last week. So let me just read through it, and then we'll jump back into the new stuff. So John writes this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Notice John doesn't call them miracles in his gospel. He calls them signs because he believes it was more than just a really cool act that God was doing. He was actually pointing out signs point, right? Signs direct. He was saying, hey, these things Jesus did point to the fact that this is really who Jesus is. He said, nobody could do these signs, you know, if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, saying, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, if you've got your Bible open, you've tapped your Bible app, just highlight or underline, born again. Nicodemus asked, how can someone be born again when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Like, that would be gross and weird, right? So, there's a cringe factor this morning. Got it over with. But Nicodemus is right. You cannot physically be born again. So, so what's Jesus getting at? It's exactly what Nicodemus wants to know. Like, Nicodemus isn't wasting his time here. His time's too important to waste with riddles. Jesus, I need to know what you mean. And besides, Jesus, meeting you in person? If anybody else sees me out here, it's going to cost me everything. My position, my prominence, my paycheck, just being seen. I remember Nicodemus is up here and Jesus was down here. To be seen with Jesus, could, it, could, it could take his whole career out. So Nicodemus doesn't want to leave this meeting without understanding what Jesus is saying. He's like, Jesus, what do you mean? I have to be born again. How many of you have ever wondered that? Anybody ever wondered, what does it mean to be born again? Okay, if you've never wondered that, you need to wonder that. Especially in our culture. Because we've taken this, we've hijacked this phrase, born again, and and we've given it this really weird vibe that was never intended. Like, how many of you remember hearing born again like 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago? Some of you, I just outdated you, I know. But back, back in the day, when this, like, born again, born again, people were like, oh, those are the Bible thumpers and the holy rollers. Remember those phrases? way back when, and born again got this weird vibe back then that usually meant, like, if you, if you think born again, you think of, well, yeah, this person was like, their life was off the, the rails, their life was a train wreck, but then they found God or found religion and got born again, and now their life is back. Is that what it means? Like, someone who's, like, living in the ditch, who gets a life turnaround, and all of a sudden things are going good again? Is, is that what born again means? I, I don't think so. Because, you, do you know, by the way, do you know what biblically the first time you hear the phrase born again? What well, we read this morning. This phrase was coined by Jesus in his conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was not living life in the ditch. Nicodemus was not down and out. Nicodemus, his life wasn't wrecked. His life was great. Remember, he's way up here. So if that's the idea of, of born again, some crazies, you know, saying you got um, you to you know, get your life all turned around, that, that's not what Jesus was talking about, not in the way we think about it. So let's go dive into this and see what Jesus means by born again. Like, what does it mean to be born again? Surely it's more than a 180 turnaround in your life. So, so Nicodemus wants to know what it means, but he's not tracking with Jesus. And so Jesus just peels back another layer. There's so many layers in here. Jesus tried a whole different angle. Verse 5, he said, Very truly I tell you, Nicodemus, 
No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. That cleared it all up for me. Now I understand. You, you just said, I hear what born again means. It means to be born again. means to be born by water and the Spirit. Woo! We're all good now? Everybody good now? You understand? Okay, let's go home. That's great. Like, Jesus, that didn't really help me at all. You know, if I don't understand what born again means, and you say, oh, well, let me show you what it means. It means to be born by water and the Spirit. I'm still not understanding what that means. And Nicodemus, he didn't understand it either. We'll talk about why he should have in a moment, but let me show you what Jesus was saying. Jesus used a, a word, the word for born is genethe, and it means to regenerate. Like if you're playing like Call of Duty or Fortnite or Skyrim, and you get sniped by another player, and you respawn, does that help some of you? You regenerate, right? right? Everybody who's like... 12 through 28. It's like, yeah, got it. Like that, that, that's, what it, that's what Jesus is saying. You, you respond. You regenerate. You're born again. Born again means to completely start over. And here's, here's why Nicodemus shouldn't have missed this. He's a teacher of the law, of the Old Testament. And you go back and you read the Old Testament and over and over and over again, like God's people, they're, they're, they are off the rails. They're walking away from God. They're just messing up and doing what God didn't want them to be doing. In fact, there were times when, when the Israelites, God's people, had so turned their backs on God, they were not living like God wanted them to, either like in their homeland or wherever they were. And other people who were not God's people looked at them and said, I don't want to, ew, I don't want to be like them. They were just so far from God, living, you know, detestable lives. But over and over again, God would say, but I love you. And I want to do something new and fresh in your lives, so I will cleanse you. And one of these examples, I'm going to read to you in a second. One of these examples, listen, the, the language is so much like what Jesus just said to Nicodemus. It should have started the bells ringing for Nicodemus. Here, listen to this. Here's, here's what... Here's what Jesus said. Like, the, the people have been messing up, and, and this is what God said through a prophet named Ezekiel to them. Listen to how much the wording matches what Jesus said to Nicodemus. God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Nicodemus, the moment Jesus said what he said, born again, by, washed by water and the spirit, he should have exactly gone right to this passage or another event in the Old Testament, because this is what he knew. Like when, when, when um, and, and this was happening already. How many of you remember a guy named John the Baptist? Remember John the Baptist? He's doing this. He's doing exactly what God said God was going to do. Remember John was out there in the wilderness and like all of Judea, everybody was coming out to see John the Baptist. And when they heard him preach and teach, they're like, man, I want to I I start over again. I want to repent of my sin, get right with God and have a fresh start. And the moment they said that, John took them down into the Jordan River into the water to cleanse them. And the water, there's nothing special in the water. It wasn't magic water, right? It was just a Jordan River, fish peed in it, all that stuff. But that's just where they were. He took them into the water, and he baptized them. And, and that's what, you see, this was already happening. 
And, and that was already seen by, by the Pharisees and especially the Sanhedrin. They were angry at that it was happening. They were keeping tabs on all that. The moment Jesus said, by water and the Spirit, Nicodemus should have thought of the Old Testament and seen that God's kingdom was here and on the move already in what John the Baptist was doing. God was fulfilling the prophecies. But Nicodemus, he's still not getting it. He's not putting two and two together. So, he, so Jesus goes another layer deeper to explain it some fur, further. And Jesus said this in verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. So flesh gives birth to flesh. Let me, let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed that as people, we're pretty amazing? Have you noticed that? Like, like if you've got kids, like, you watch her grow up. Oh my gosh, she's going to be amazing. They, they learn to talk and walk and just cause trouble, but a lot of great things, right? And, and, and as people, we're really, really amazing. God made us that way. We were created in the image of God. That makes us amazing to begin with. But the things we're capable of, the things we produce, oh my gosh, did you know that every time you put this in your hand, you were holding in your hand more technology than NASA had when they put Neil Armstrong on the moon? Think about that for a second. How amazing people are. And I think, like, of all the things God has equipped us and enabled us to learn and how to do, the thing I think is the most amazing is that we get to actually make more people, right? We do that. This is so cool. The early service, little baby Eli, like he squealed at that point. Like it was perfect timing on Eli's part. But, but God's enabled us to do the most amazing thing. That's to make new people. I, I love that fact. I, I love it. You know, here's the sex talk for the morning, right? Don't worry, it doesn't go any deeper than that. So no worries. But, but this is what God has allowed us to do. But here's, here's a limitation on that. We can make new people. We can make different people. But we can't make people different. We can't make them new. Flesh gives birth to flesh. It's limited. But the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit. By the way, has anybody ever, anybody else geek over Greek? You like, anybody like old languages, dead languages? Okay, Jim, you and I, are, okay, we'll talk later. It's just us. Okay. But everyone else, just, just trust me. There's a, there's a little tiny word in here. It's, it's, it's the so, the Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. This is what God's Holy Spirit does. It's not just making another person. This is remaking, regenerating, respawning a person. This is making people different. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Try to, try to track with me on this. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not turning 180 and starting to do right things instead of wrong things. That's part of it. it it's not about behaving better right? Or adding something to you to make you get different results. Like what, what, this, this is about becoming a brand new person. And it's not the outside work that you do by keeping the laws, by looking good. How many of you, anybody in here is 16, 17, 18? A couple of y'all. So, so I was like your age when I bought my first car, $300 AMC Hornet. How many of you know what an AMC Hornet is? There's a reason you don't, all right? It was an AMC Hornet, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a skanky car. I'm not going to lie. It was kind of nasty. Um, it was rust-colored, which was good because they had rust all over it. And how many of y'all are car people? How many like to work on cars? Okay, I am not. 
and I do not. Uh, so, and we didn't have we didn't have like you know YouTube videos, so I couldn't look and see like how to work on a car like this. So I just asked some friends who were car guys, and I got sandpaper, sort of you know buffing down the the rust spots. I got some car putty holes, like filled in all the holes, like they were gaping holes in my the body of my car. And then I got paint that almost sort of matched the paint of my car. I don't think AMC Hornets had any color that was a normal color. And so I, I got paint that was kind of close to that and painted it so it looked okay. You know, because the reality was I wanted to pick up my girlfriend and take her to school. You know, I wanted to be able to drive around and not have her say, no, thanks, I'll take the bus. So I, so I did everything I knew to do to make this car look as good as it could in spite of it being a Hornet, right? That car didn't last me long. Do you know why? Because when you put all of your energy and intention on the outside, you tend to ignore the inside. Do you know what happens when you don't change the oil in your car? Your engine dies. The inside where it's important, the engine, the, the crankshaft, the, you know, keeping the fluids from all that stuff you're supposed to do on the inside, if you're putting all your attention on the outside of the car, your engine will die and that good-looking car will no longer run anywhere. Does that make sense to y'all? Nicodemus had the best car in town. He looked great on the outside. He was driving the fanciest car all through Jerusalem with all of his good works. He looked better than everyone else did. He even had bumper stickers that read, Honk if you love the Lord and God's my pilot. I mean, he was super religious. Everybody knew it from looking at him. He was the, the most religious guy in town. He was impeccable. And yet Jesus said to him, Hey, Nicodemus, it's the inside that counts. And that's work that only God can do. Nicodemus believed if you just work harder, memorize more scripture. Maybe this, is what, maybe this is a tradition you've come out of too. Maybe you believe the same thing. Maybe your family taught you this. Nicodemus believed if you just work harder, pray more, go to church more, check the boxes and don't miss any of them. If I just do all the right things, I will be good with God. That was Nicodemus' whole mindset. If I keep working harder at what I'm already doing, it'll produce something new in me. Can I just deflate that theory for a second? Let me do, I'm, I'm going to steal an illustration uh, from a guy I heard, because I love it. How many of y'all have a, maybe a cherry tree in your backyard? Anybody have a cherry tree? Anybody want a cherry tree? Anybody like cherries? Okay, now we're talking. Okay, cherry pie. We're just going to layer, layer, layer. Right? Okay, cherry pie. So let's say you pretend you have a cherry tree in your backyard because you love cherries and you, man, you can't wait to eat cherries and cherry pie and you've been loving it for a number of years. But you know what? This year you're getting tired of cherries. And you think to yourself, this year I think I want, let's see, peaches. It's a good southern fruit, right? I think this year I want peaches. And so you look at the cherry tree and you think to yourself, wow. I've never really taken care of that cherry tree. I'm going to put some more effort into that cherry tree. I'm going to water it like I should water it. So you start consistently watering it. And then you think to yourself, I've never fertilized it. I'm going to, I'm going to fertilize it. So you start feeding that tree. And then you go the extra mile. You even mulch around it so it retains all those good nutrients and water. And you do all that extra work on that tree that's already planted right there. You know what's going to happen when it bears fruit? You know what it's going to give you? More cherries, right? If you were expecting peaches, then you need to start over. You need an entirely different root. You need a whole different source. Just doing more of what you've been doing does not give you different results. Nicodemus believed, if I just work harder at it and get more of it, man, I'll be so much better with God. And Jesus said, you've, you've missed it. 
Nicodemus, there's a whole different source that you've missed completely. You produce some good stuff. Like if, if good behavior was an end to heaven, then Nicodemus was in. But Jesus said, you've got a false start. That's not what saves you. It's an inside job only God can do. Like, hey, your behavior will change. You don't change your behavior to get right with God. Your behavior gets changed after you've gotten right with God. In fact, one person said it this way, that, that sin isn't even fun anymore <laughs> when you get right with Jesus. Like, dang, sin used to be fun, but now I just feel so guilty about it because I'm convicted that sin's not even fun anymore. Your behavior will change once you've gotten right with God. It's a brand new source. He's still not quite getting it. So Jesus said this to Nicodemus. Now, verse 7. He said, Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, is it just me? Or did Jesus take a left turn? Like, hey, you got to be born again, da-da-da. And he starts talking about the wind. But Jesus was just right on point. He's just giving a really, really simple, everyday example of what he's talking about. He's like, Nicodemus, you know there's wind, and you can't, you can't see the wind, but you, you know the wind because you, you experience it, right, right? You feel the wind on your face. You see branches or leaves blowing. You know there's the effects of the wind. He said the Holy Spirit's the same way. When the Holy Spirit works in someone's life, you begin to see the Holy Spirit working there. You begin to see that behavior being changed. You begin to see the effects of the Holy Spirit. They're different than they used to be. He said, when you, when you get right with God, when people get right with God, you're going to see that happening in their lives. Remember what we said last week? This is a passage that Paul wrote, and it's not on the screen, but let me read it to you. If anyone is in Christ, Paul wrote, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, right with God, the new creation has come. The old is gone, and the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Like, it's not a new you. I mean, it's, not a, it's not a better you. It's not the best version of you. It is a new you, and God does that work in you. But Nicodemus, he's still not getting it. Like, he's literally in the dark, and he's figuratively in the dark, right? He asks, how can this be? Like, how does this work, Jesus? So Jesus gave him one more layer. And again, it's from the Old Testament. Jesus goes back. He, he references this event in the Old Testament. I'm going to tell you what the event was before I read the reference so you understand it. So there was a time when the Israelites are just totally walking away from God. And they're so, they're like angry with God. They're, they're um, not only disobeying God, they're just dishonoring God. And they're complaining to God. God, all you give us is manna. Hey, be thankful for the free food, people, right? This is, this is God providing for the people every single day. And like, we're tired of the same old, same old. And so God said, I'm tired about of your complaining and so God sent a a swarm of vipers these venomous snakes like who said the Old Testament wasn't exciting right these snakes go into the camp start biting people people start dying and finally they're like okay we're uncle 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 we give up we surrender Moses go talk to God for us tell him we're going to start loving manna again just give us some peanut butter or something with it but we'll go God we like it now and we're back with you and save us from these snakes and so God's okay I hear you 
Moses do this. Moses take a really tall staff, like a pole, set it up in the middle of camp, make a snake, a statue of a snake, put it on top of the pole, and tell the people when they're bit by a snake, look at that statue of a snake, and they'll be healed instantly, and they won't die. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. And so Jesus references that when he said this to, to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, you shouldn't be surprised what we're talking about. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus was just saying to Nicodemus, hey, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. And everyone and anyone who looks to me, who trusts me, who believes in me and trusts and enlists with me will be saved They'll be made new. That's what Jesus was, was telling him, that you'll have eternal life. And this is so hard for Nicodemus. Like, Jesus, are you saying it's not my work, but it's your work for me? Everything I've been doing is a false start. I need a fresh start. That's, that's exactly what Nicodemus was questioning. And, and we don't know what happened that night. Like, that was the end of the conversation. They, they went in their separate ways. And thankfully, there's more written about Nicodemus that John tells us. Let me go into that so you, so you know a little bit where Nicodemus was headed. Jesus, a little bit later, was in Jerusalem teaching. That's where the Sanhedrin kind of hung out. And while Jesus was teaching, he was making the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin really, really angry. So the Sanhedrin got some of the temple guards. They said, hey, go arrest Jesus and bring him to us. So they go marching out there to arrest Jesus. And a few hours, like half a day later, they come back without Jesus. And the Sanhedrin, they're like, the Sanhedrin, the leaders are like, why didn't you bring Jesus back with you? And this is so funny. They said, have you heard this guy? He's amazing. Have you ever gone out yourselves and listened to him? He will blow your little Sanhedrin minds. He's great. And the stuff he does, nobody does that. So they're like, blah, 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 how great Jesus is. And the Sanhedrin's like getting madder and madder and madder. And it's like, we're going to plot now to kill him. And that's when, and that's when Nicodemus shows up again. Let's listen to this. You remember, he's one of them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, number one of the Sanhedrin, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? Nicodemus is like, hey, I'm not going to let you know that I'm a follower of his yet, but I'm going to just recite our own law and, and not let you get your hands on him yet. And that's what Nicodemus did. He kind of, he kind of helped Jesus in that instance. Now, they couldn't help him forever because then Jesus, they, they blamed Jesus for uh, heresy. Jesus claimed to be God and that you can't be God because God's up in heaven. And so they, bl they blamed him. They, they took him to the cross, had the Romans crucify him. But this is where Nicodemus comes in one last time. So they, they take Jesus out to be crucified. And that was on Friday afternoon. Remember Good Friday? That's, we'll be celebrating that in a little bit. Um, Good Friday is when Jesus was, was crucified and he died that Friday afternoon. Now, Friday was called the day of preparation. That's when the Jews prepared for the Sabbath. Sabbath started Friday evening at sundown, went until Saturday evening at sundown, that 24-hour period. That was Sabbath. So the day of preparation was when they would prepare meals and everything else they wanted to do because they couldn't work on the Sabbath. So the day of preparation, they didn't want Jesus' body on the cross during Sabbath, so they're going to do something about it. Listen, listen to this. So later, Joseph of Arimathea, I'm, I'm reading this to you, um, it's not on screen, I want you just to listen to this part. So Joseph of Arimathea, and, and remember last week when Nicodemus came to Jesus? Hey, we know you're a teacher from God. Remember the we in there? Here it is. 
We know that this, this is Joseph of Arimathea. He's, he's a Pharisee like Nicodemus. He was a high-standing uh, member of Sanhedrin like Nicodemus. This is the we that Nicodemus was talking about early in the, in the earlier conversation. So Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate, the Roman governor, for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders, his peers. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by, guess who? Nicodemus. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them, who else was there to help them? Nobody else. The two of them, the two of them, wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which nobody had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus' body there. And you might be thinking, well, well, so what? Like, why does that matter? What Nicodemus and Joseph did was very, very public. Every eye was on them. Nobody missed what they did, including the Sanhedrin. This had every opportunity to torpedo their, their careers. This could have taken away everything they've worked their whole lives for. This could remove them from their, their seats in, in, the, in the Jewish ruling council. And yet these guys didn't care. When, the, when the, the ladies were there, but they're standing at a distance, when the apostles were in hiding because they're afraid, these two guys, Pharisees, Sanhedrin guys, stepped up to do what needed to be done for Jesus. I love that about Nicodemus. Do y'all ever, you ever, ever make a list in your mind about who you want to talk to in heaven first? Do you have a list? Who's to start with for you? Moses, Jesus, yeah, yeah, he's going to be the first you talk to regardless, right? But, but, but for the guys from the Bible, who else? Moses, Abraham, Peter, Paul, you got a list, like King David, all these people, right? I've never thought about Nicodemus before, but I'm kind of getting there. Because he starts out, like, just wanting to please God, but he's not pleasing God, and Jesus calls him on it. Then you get to the end of this part. He's like, okay, when everyone else was not doing what they're supposed to do, he steps up. And all of a sudden, he just moved up on my list of guys I wish I could have up here an interview and just ask some questions about. Nicodemus, of all people. I love the fact that I, I believe, I believe it was a slow burn, but I think he finally, I think he finally got it. That all the stuff he'd been working so hard at and on, not that it was wrong, but it didn't produce the fruit that he was aiming for. Hey, if your, goal, if your goal is to be really good at knowing the Bible, that's fantastic. Bullseye, know the Bible. But if your goal is salvation, then only Jesus can do that for you. And I believe, I believe Nicodemus finally got that. Like, it's not your good works. It's Jesus' good work for you that works for you. Can you imagine, to, can you imagine listening to Nicodemus tell his story? Can you imagine how he would tell it? We just did. We just walked through it for two weeks. It's an amazing story. 
And my hope is by hearing his story, how I think his life was radically, radically changed, made new. I mean, he may have lost his seat. He may have become, he may have been part of the early church. We don't hear anything else about him. But I can see him becoming a voice with a platform for Jesus. But hopefully hearing his story helps you to understand your story a little bit better. Saying, man, if, if that's what's true for Nicodemus, then that's true for me. If Jesus could do that for a Pharisee, Jesus can do that for me. I mean, you look at Nicodemus and, and life, new life, real life, the real Nicodemus that God had always designed him, desired him to be. All that was right there, right in front of Nicodemus. And friends, it's right here in front of you. Jesus is saying, hey, I designed you and I've desired you to be the you I've always wanted you to be. And you've been doing some really good stuff with your life, but you're missing the most important part. You've been working so hard at, you know, doing the right things and behaving correctly. But listen, all that's okay, but that doesn't save you. Jesus would say, there's one thing that does, and it's me. Let me in and let me do the job that no one else can do for you. Listen, that's available for you this morning. If you've never let Jesus do that work in you, why not today? Why not stop trying so hard to impress God and just let God do what he does and just rest in God? Your behavior, it'll change. But it's going to start with the work that Jesus does in you. So I'm going to pray for you. And this morning as I pray for you, maybe you need to make this your prayer. Whether you're here in person or maybe you're online listening. Let this become your prayer this morning. Let's just bow for a moment. Jesus, I want to confess to you that I've worked really hard at making my life look good for other people. And I thought that somehow, by knowing the scriptures and by praying well and going to church and doing all the right things, that that would put me in a right relationship with you, that somehow, if I could prove that I'm good enough, that you would invite me to live forever with you. But Jesus, what I'm learning is I don't have to prove anything to you. I can come to you just like I am. As good as I look on the outside or as bad as I look on the outside. You don't care. You just say, come. And you invite us into this place, into a space where you just love on us. And you tell us that you are our living hope. The hope we need. They're really the only hope we have. And so Jesus, today, if there's anybody within the sound of my voice, here or, or online, that needs to know that you love them just where they are, and that you will do a work in them, that they don't have to work so hard at it, but just to let, let you, your Holy Spirit, do your work in them, that they would give that over to you today. Jesus, may we find ourselves not getting better, not becoming the best version of ourselves, but becoming brand new, brand new today in you. We give this to you, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Listen, if, if you prayed that or part of that prayer with me and you want to come up to the altar today, you are so welcome. Let me sing one more song, and while we sing it, this stage becomes an altar. 
If you want to come up and say, God, I need to, I need to ask this for you, of you again, or I want to thank you for doing this work in me, then come and ask him or come and praise him. Either way, the altar's open. Let's stand as we sing, and would you come as God leads? Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I hope you found something practical to use in your life today. At Grace Collective, our mission is to connect people to Jesus. Everyone, everywhere, every day. You can visit gracecollectivechurch.com to learn more about our church and how you can get involved.